we'll open with prayer and then continue with the study from, uh, from last time on the Nunc Dimittis. And then call uh, and see how far we get. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, without your help our labor is useless. And without your light our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word, that by due diligence and right discernment, we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We do have holy water, though, if you are thirsty. What is the bridge? Yeah. Yes, water is always good. That's right. It's better for you than coffee. And it's ready. It's ready right now. Oh, the water's done? <laughs> There's whatever that orange juice is, too. All right, so uh, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I think last week uh, we, we spent a good amount of time talking about different things, I think, but we also uh, gave our attention to thank the Lord and sing His praise. So that's one of the options in divine service setting one and two concerning the post-communion canticle. The other one is the Song of Simeon, which is, again, based on Scripture. And in Luke 2, in particular, verses 22 to 36, is where I'd like to read, or like us to read. Um, And maybe we'll start with Wayne. In verse uh, or for verse 22 and work ourselves around to verse 36. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared before me the face of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentile and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Esther, can you read verse 34? And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then verse 36 uh, makes reference to the prophetess Anna, uh, which actually is is often included this portion the next portion is included on uh the the day when the uh when the circumcision of our lord or or when we have Simeon in the temple for that new testament reading so we usually get uh the reading about Simeon but also Anna uh with reference to him coming to the temple and there's there's a number of hymns and one um, in the temple now behold him for example you know Jesus coming into the temple the next time we really hear about that in Luke's gospel after this is when he's 12 years old you know so there's a there's a gap of time so now he's he's dare we say a preteen you know when he when he enters when we hear him but but we also are aware that every year he came with his family just a point of uh, chronological reference, this demonstrates and proves that the wise men did not appear at the manger with the shepherds that day that Jesus was born. It had to be after this because Mary and Joseph haven't departed to go to Egypt. They're still 
around the area, whether in Bethlehem or what have you, first of all, getting circumcised on the eighth day in Bethlehem, and then go to Jerusalem on 40 days later, so that the wise men have to come after this. Just to put it in chronological perspective. So just to kind of offset the hallmark theology of everybody grouped in the, the main right. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also uh, textually as well, I, I think it's when, when the uh, also when the when it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel that the wise men, the Magi, come to visit, they're actually living in a home. Yeah, they're in a house. Right. You know, not in the manger, not in the stable, I should say, right. because they don't live in the manger. They probably left from Jerusalem here and went back to a little apartment they were probably renting or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's possible. So, I, and and that's you know just just remember the uh, you know the, the the time of circumcision too, you know, and and Mary. According to, to uh, uh, the Old Testament uh, customs, she was considered unclean until after 40 days. So this takes place eight days after he was born, pretty much. Uh, well, the circumcision. The circumcision. Does, but yeah. they're going to Jerusalem. He's 40, 40 days right. old. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and and this is kind of odd because. <laughs> There, there is, there, there is in the in the church here that marking of the circumcision of our Lord on January one. Yeah, but if you look at the reading, that's Luke two verse twenty one, and a lot of times we kind of miss that. I think uh, you know, um, in, unless it's included with Jesus presented at the table uh, at the temple, because in verse twenty one, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, and that's when he was. So gospel reading for January 1. So if you have a right. New Year's Day service, that's read then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you don't, you kind of miss it, right? Um, but yeah, and, and so so just in terms of time, there was the eight days when he was circumcised and then also named, and then a period of time, 32 days roughly after mm -hmm. that, that he was presented in the temple. So uh, you can kind of get the bearings a little bit straight there. Um, does anything stand out from these particular verses that we read from verse 22 to 36? Kind of a broad question, isn't it? Well, I think it's, uh, I don't know, but it's something that uh, I've heard so many times that it's like old hat, but it's still amazing that um, the Spirit led him into the temple. So he was there because God told him to go there. And um, and then miraculous that he would, uh, you know, that he knew without being told that this family that came in, that this was the Messiah. And... Uh, and that he just goes up and takes the baby out of Mary's hands. Anna comes up and, and goes on about the baby. And you got to figure that Mary and Joseph are a little awed by, by this because, you know, for somebody to come up and they knew who he was. But I don't know how many others... There were a lot of others that knew that the Messiah had right. been born because the angels told the shepherds and the shepherds told everybody. But really, uh, going to Jerusalem, I'm sure that I'm sure they really didn't expect people to come up and tell them that this was the Messiah. Yeah. Well, and, and it, you know, we, we, we didn't read it, um, but there is a uh, verse 38. You know, speaking of Anna, you know who. Uh, uh, began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, which of course finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Um, and I mean, th this uh, this text here, uh, the entirety of this text is, is just loaded. Um, so if you look at verse 22, there's reference to the law of Moses. Now you might immediately think, well, it has the word law in there, so that must mean that it has to do with the Ten Commandments. But uh, this 
very likely is the phrase that is used, uh, as Luke uses it, Law of Moses refers not only to the Ten Commandments, but to the first five books of the Torah, right? the first five books of the Bible, called the Pentateuch or the Torah. Um, and that's why, you know, um, came time for their purification, which is kind of interesting because we have purification for Jesus and purification for Mary. Uh, Jesus does not need purification, just like later on, Jesus does not need to be baptized either, right? And remember in Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 3, he comes to be baptized and John says, hey, well, wait a minute, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you're coming to me. Um, so Jesus, you know, even at this point, even as a child, um, is, is being submitted, submitting himself under the law under God's word, um, you know, for our redemption. So they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, and notice as written in the law of the Lord. And again, um, you know, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Um, that that's, that's also a reference to, uh, you know, what we find in Exodus as well. Remember the firstborn? <coughs> The firstborn of the Egyptians died, who were not covered by the blood of, of the Lamb, with reference to the Passover. After that, um, you know, the Lord says um, that all firstborn males must be redeemed, and also the firstborn males of the animals too um, would be sacrificed, and, and the like. Um, so, what does that tell us? What does that indicate and show? That all of that that we read in the in, that we see in the Old Testament pointed to Christ, the only begotten Son. You know, so the Passover. I mean, remember. I mean, this is this this comes out quite clearly in, in the accounts um, of the uh, the Lord's Supper, as we call it, the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. You know, He basically made the Passover obsolete at that time. Now it's the Lord's Supper that we celebrate. Not, it's not just once a year. It's yeah, yeah, as often as you do this, you know, and and, and that's that's another difference too. And and there, there are groups, interestingly enough, um, that that do claim to celebrate the Lord's Supper once a year. Um, which I don't know. I I've all I've often wondered about that. Um, because you, you look at the text, you look at what Jesus says, you, you, you look at what Scripture teaches about the Lord's Supper. Why would you only want to receive it once a year? You know, and then proclaiming the Lord's death, you know, the Lord says too, you know, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, okay, so you intentionally only want to proclaim the Lord's death once a year. Even that I, I don't get it. Uh, there's something else going on there, um, but but it, it, it's quite quite revealing because here in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus presented at the temple. All of this is according to the law. All of all of this is according to what was given, and and so also with Simeon. You know, he may have been in the temple anyway um, on that particular day, but this one had significance. Um, you know, when when uh, when the Lord gave him sight, opened his eyes to see the Christ. Yeah. Comments? Sure. I think it's interesting when it says in the Spirit, because it says it twice. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be important. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Um, and then the sacrifice given, a pair of turtle dove or two young pigeons. Um, and yeah, um, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. You know, So um, interestingly, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And we see this that beforehand taking place even here, you know. So um, also when uh, when Peter gives that confession of the Christ, of Jesus as the Christ of God, 
in Matthew's Gospel, then uh, Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And when he speaks that way, he does not exclude the Holy Spirit's work either. You know, so often we're, uh, you know, many are, are, many might ask the question, well, where was the Spirit in all of this? You know, and for example, and, and maybe you've heard this before, um, you know, from others that in the Old Testament, the people of God were saved by what they did. Have you heard that before? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. I don't think it's quite correct. Why is that? And it's salvation by works. Yeah. yeah. Salvation by works, right? Um, and, and then, the, you know, sometimes an argument will be given or a statement will be made that the Holy Spirit doesn't come really until the New Testament. Um, we think the day of Pentecost, for example, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Jesus explicitly speaks about the Holy Spirit, like in John 14, John 15, John 16. Um, and and we, we see references throughout the New Testament concerning the Spirit, yet there are references to the Holy Spirit too in the Old Testament. And the moment you say that in the Old Testament people were saved by the law or by what they did, but in the New Testament they're saved by the Gospel, by what God did in Christ, you're, you're disconnecting uh, what's actually there. Uh, Genesis 15 comes to mind specifically where God gives a promise to Abraham and the text says in Genesis 15 verse 6 Abraham believed God and God credited that faith as righteousness um, also we, we have uh, peculiarly uh, you know a few short words in Habakkuk verse 2 the just shall live by faith the just shall live by faith and the emphasis in, uh, in in the Torah in the first five books of the Old Testament, interestingly, in Deuteronomy and Exodus, and uh, you know throughout, is really hearing the Lord, which has to do with faith. Yeah, I, not correct, but uh, actually, there's three references to the Holy Spirit: verse 25, 26, 27. There's I can't. Be, no, it's I'm just saying. Yeah, it's even better than two. It's three times. Yes. And I think preceding what we have in our liturgy today with the singing of the Nunkadenis, uh, to put it in context, especially with that heavy emphasis on the Holy Spirit, that we have just you know, not only received receiving the body and blood of Christ and the Lord's Supper, but we have encountered the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He increases, imparts and increases our faith. Yes which is what Simeon is, is really celebrating here and what Luke is sharing with us, you know, so that when we go to the Lord's Supper and come back from that table and then we join together in the Nunc we're affirming the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that our faith has been renewed, strengthened, you know, brought closer to Jesus, however you want to put it. But, you know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit going on there. We've encountered the Holy Spirit right along with Simeon. Bang. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah. You're stealing my thunder. Oh, I thought that's what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. What, what I was hoping to do. <laughs> no, it, 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 look at the text, which which we're doing now, you know, and, and going to continue to do for a time. Um, but then, but then, you know, look. I mean, it, it, it's amazing when we look at the divine service, because really, I mean, it comes down to, at least in my mind, the question: When does the Nuptimitus? When is it sung? in the service, and why is it there? Why is it not at the beginning after the absolution, for example? We just encountered Jesus, like you yeah. And, I mean, you, you, you know, I, I think, is it the, uh, the, the the Orthodox Church as a denomination that speaks of the divine drama? You hear, you know, sometimes, you know, like Lutherans can speak that way too, but we, we have kind of a different emphasis. Um, but, the divine drama in the sense of, okay, God working, God enacting, God himself doing presently 
among us what he has promised to do and what he gives to his people of old too, or what he gave to them. So in other words, he's actually fulfilling his word in the divine service. You know, so we talked about this with reference to the Lord's Prayer and where that is. You know, uh, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses. Where does he do that? By means of his word, right? Um, you know, the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, we, we confess our sins and immediately then, by his grace, um, you know, the called and ordained servant of the word, you know, forgives you your sins, right? In this den and by the command of Christ. In other words, it's done right there. And it's, you know, we, we you know, th this is, I, I don't want to say a leap of faith, but this is, this is to place confidence in the Lord and his word, believing and saying amen to what God himself is doing then and there in that place. Yeah. Just as a footnote, um, sometimes if you bump into, say, like Assembly of God or Pentecostal folk, that, you know, as Luther would say, I think you call them enthusiasts, you know, and he wasn't too impressed that they swallowed the Holy Spirit feathers and all. I think he was a phrase he used. Because they kind of go over the top with the emotional aspect of all of that. Yeah. But I uh, wrote a paragraph saying that Lutherans are more Pentecostal than the Pentecostals. And that we really do, in our divine service, emphasize the real work of the Holy Spirit. What Luther says, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Christ. But it's the Holy Spirit's called me by the gospel, enlightens me with the skin, sanctifies and keeps me in the one true faith. So the Holy Spirit's throughout the whole service. Right? And so we can you know, just try that on when somebody says, do you have the Holy Spirit in your church? You go all over the place. And then throw that out. Say, we're more Pentecostal than the Pentecostals. That'll give them something to think about. Mess with their heads. <laughs> they probably slowed. Yeah. <laughs> Pentecostal with a small p. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, See, he's thinking about it too. He's kind of working. Right. I'm also thinking about you know you've heard of praise songs. Yeah. Right. Right. We praise the Lord all day long. Right. Or small c. Right. Contemporary. What does that mean? Like up to date. I'm here now. Literally. Yeah. And 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 yet God continues to work here and now by means of His Word. You know. Um, and you know. So. You know, I, I've often, I mean, that, that's one of the difficulties. I, I know we've, we've kind of raised that, but with, with reference to, uh, you know, distinctions in how, you know, how worship takes place. You know, sometimes they're referred to as styles. You know, it's liturgical, you know, quote, traditional, contemporary, polka, I've heard of that. Country. Did you say polka? Uh, yeah, I, I've heard of that too, especially in Wisconsin. They're really big. With the blessed tuba. There was a jazz service done down in New Orleans. They have a mariachi service. By the Elka yeah. Church, they had a jazz. Yeah, you know, with the El Paso folks. Yeah, but you know, when it comes to contemporary, you know, a lot of times, you know, people will make the distinction between contemporary and traditional worship. You know, and traditional generally means, you know, that you use a printed liturgy. Um, and these liturgical, the, these liturgical rites, the, the, the liturgy that is used is usually uh, based in historical precedent. It's not novel, oftentimes, right? Contemporary, though, um, in, in, in terms of that distinction, contemporary is seen as like more up to date, you know, more, I don't know what they say, moving music. Um, in, in my uh, estimation, the, the words kind of tend to repeat themselves over and over and over again, um, and and they're not they're not uh, they're not always theologically sound in their theology, in what they say. Um, I say, what's that? That's your vain repetition today. That that, that, that part of it, yeah. The Seven Eleven hymns. Yeah. <laughs> You know about it, right? Seven, Seven words repeated eleven times. Oh, okay. okay. I probably heard that before, but you know, it's it's in the final Maybe eleven words repeated seven times. I don't know. It, it, it could be either, but and and some of them aren't bad. You know, like uh, you know, uh, 
I, I don't think this is probably sung so much in church in, in, in many, quote, contemporary groups, but, you know, Father, I adore you. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, uh, with, with that song, and it, it's easy to remember, actually. Um, that might be one of the one of the things, but you know, even before hymnals, before they had screens, people memorized stuff. It, it actually happened. Um, but, but Father, I adore you. Spirit, I adore you. Jesus, I adore you. Um, you know, that's not all that you want to get on a Sunday morning, right? I mean, you know, there's there's more. You know, Jesus, I adore you. Um, it's not only about or, or particularly about you adoring Christ, it's how it, it's Christ revealing himself to you. For example, in word and sacrament, by means of the Spirit, working through the word, right? Um, I, I've heard it, uh, you know, said just, um, you know, contrary to, you know, uh, what, what was mentioned before about, you know, we're more Pentecostal than the Pentecostals. Um, you know, sometimes the Lutherans are seen as kind of uh, those who, you know, seen, seen by others as not really giving place to the Spirit or giving very little emphasis to mm -hmm. the Spirit. Um, to which I would respond, well, that it might appear so, uh, but that's because we're too busy talking about Jesus and preaching Christ and Him crucified. And the work of the Spirit is yes. what? To bear yeah. witness to Christ. To give glory to Christ. Right? Uh, so it doesn't. It, it's not meant to say that we omit the spirit because we don't. Um, but where where faith is created, there the spirit is working, even though he gets no credit or very little credit. You know, and and Jesus himself says in John uh, 14 to 16, you know that uh, when I send the Holy Spirit, He will remind you, speaking to His disciples, everything that I told you. He also says he will bear witness of me. He will testify of me. That's the work of the Spirit. So when you have these others um, in, in the, the extreme Pentecostal movement who say that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit, they're going further than Scripture does. Yeah. But just to wrap that up, I guess, again, going back to Luther's explanation, he totally admits our uh, inadequacy, spiritual to, to raise ourselves up, you know, from the deadness of sin that we find ourselves in. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit that gives us living faith in Jesus. And to say it another way is, you know, I don't take any credit for my being creative. I give 100% credit to the Father. You know, He brought me into existence. And when it comes to redemption, I take no credit for redemption. I give 100% credit to Jesus. He's the one who died on the cross and paid for all my sins. He did it all, once and for all. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, this is the odd thing about the Pentecostals. Apart from all the speaking in tongues and standing and clapping or whatever else they do, their theology takes away from the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, when you get into those kinds of fellowships, whatever you want to call them, it's always about you have to make a decision for Jesus. So they fall back into reason, and it's something you have to do to ask for the Holy Spirit. To ask you know, Jesus to come into your heart. And so you're doing the doing. And that's why I say Pentecostals, it's a misnomer. Because they really don't understand the spirit of Pentecost. They might have all this outward show of emotions, but their theology does not give 100% credit to the Holy Spirit for faith. And that's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians. I cannot believe in Jesus or confess him as Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I say Lutherans are more Pentecostal than Pentecostals. Because we give 100% credit to the Holy Spirit for the miracle of faith. Yeah. Believing faith. They don't. Okay, I have something else I want to ask. Yeah. Alright. So going down to verse 38 where it says, where it's talking about Anna. And it says, and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in, in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so she, so the shepherds heard about the birth of Jesus, and they told everybody they saw when they went back to the fields. Mm -hmm. So then, Anna's in the temple. We have no idea who um, Simeon told, but you would have thought he would have told a bunch of people. 
But here it says that Anna spoke to everybody that she could, that she could, mm -hmm. talking about the Messiah, the Christ, and whatever. And so, that brings me to the people knew, had to know, when Jesus started preaching, this was 30 years, 33 years later, they had to remember some of this stuff. I would think, you know, some of them... They were not in 33 yeah. years. Anna was probably dead, but they had to have... There had to be people that remembered this woman making a big deal. Whether they saw Jesus or not, this child is the redemption of Israel. And so then Jesus comes as the Messiah, the Christ. There had to be people who thought about that. I think in our day and time, or I'll just say at least for me, it's like we don't really think about that. We don't think there's any arcing of from then to there. We think people just forgot all about it. So when they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, that they didn't know who he was. Yet I, I believe that there were lots of people who knew who he was and may have wanted to believe and were afraid. And then it was at Pentecost when all of a sudden they're going, well, yeah. The, uh, they weren't afraid anymore. I wanted to discuss that. Okay. So, what do you think about that? So, Anna was a, one of the first evangelists. Yeah, I mean, Along she with was the shepherds, the shepherds and Anna, Hannah yeah. were evangelists who planted the seed. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, but that the fact that it's like you cannot tell me that people that were in Bethlehem did not remember those. Magi coming to Jesus, even if there were three, although we have no idea how many there were. How could you not remember that? How could you not talk about it? Down. It's, they said, is this not the son of the carpenter? They, they remembered, but they didn't yeah, John remember what Baptist you wanted to remember. Today. They John remembered the a lot of them. They probably today. were afraid to speak out because there was so much hate. They didn't understand. They were confused. Jesus was confusing to people. His own disciples got to the point where they didn't ask him any more questions because they were afraid. Well, of course they remembered. It's so. all written down. <laughs> well, not at this, Luke's then. gospel wasn't written at this time, but yeah. Then, but, but they had the Old Testament, and and that that's I mean it, it, it is intriguing to, to think about because they did have the Old Testament, and you know so so you have this and. Um, you know, with, with reference to, to Simeon, with, with reference to uh, Anna, as a prophetess, she would have been familiar with the prophets, with the Old Testament. And and all of this, like, remember Luke's, you know, especially um, here where we're looking at in particular, in, in Luke 2, it, it's kind of couched in, okay, the fulfillment of what was spoken before concerning the purification, concerning the... Uh, you know the firstborn child you know uh, the sacrifice given and so on and so forth um, this is kind of setting it up um, and not only setting it up but but demonstrating the fulfillment taking place with Jesus you know and and what he would do now now to your comment about uh, there 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 may have been many there may have been I don't know well, I mean the, the text but... doesn't say so it, it, it's somewhat speculative but people do remember things I don't know about men so much, but women do. Right? <laughs> I don't, from my experience. You know, um, just it's something that awesome. But yeah. And if and if she was in there and Simeon was in there and they were making a big deal about it, yeah. if somebody comes into our church, and it has happened here, what at least once that somebody got up and started started talking, you know, and everybody. You know, stops and is looking around and whatever, and then they decide what they're going to do. You don't forget that, really. I mean, something will bring it to mind. So if that person, like you know, five years down the road, comes again into, you know, the church is like, oh, 
Okay, we gotta watch this. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and then I mean, hearing what what all is said about him, and and you know, consider too that this is a child and and um, a baby at this point, you know, 40 days old. Um, you know, and and people might be asking, so what? You know, kind of like what Mary did um, and others. You know, what kind of child is this going to be? You know, so at least keeping a heads heads uh, or eyes open, you know, and ears open and, and, and the like. I don't know if you're coming back to, but I sure don't want to leave uh, the southern side of the coin. You know, we we celebrate what Simeon says in our liturgy, but there's also what he says in verse 34 and 35. That's the other side of the coin. What Simeon says. And that's right. not part of our liturgy, but. But it's really waiting. It's there, yeah. Yeah, and then the idea of it's this behold, you say, what kind of child is this? Well, Simeon tells you. He tells you right there. He says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. What is that sign? You know, Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah to the Jews. You know, that the Son of Man must be crucified and rise on the third day. So what I, I see, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but when I hear Simeon saying for a sign to be opposed, I think he's talking about both the cross and the resurrection. Because people you know, found the cross to be folly or foolishness. And certainly the resurrection was denied by those who didn't believe. But then verse 35 brings into full focus the Gospel of John, interestingly, where Mary is standing before the cross with John standing next to her, and that had to have pierced her heart to see her son nailed to that cross. I don't know what else that could possibly refer to. You know, that the day would come when Mary would see this baby nailed to a cross, and it had to just pierce her heart. What else is he talking about there? So what, what you see there is what Paul says, we preach Christ and him crucified, Bang, that's what Simeon's doing right here. This past uh, Thursday um, at the LWML, we were continuing our study of uh, Genesis 3. In Genesis 3.15, that's where God says to the serpent, you know, um, I will place enmity, opposition, between your seed and her seed, and uh, and and we see that uh, taking you know being spoken of here that that, that word of opposition. Uh-huh. I want to extend that though, and I, I, I think I, I think I can do that uh, even from this text. But that opposition actually still continues. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That enmity, you know, sure. until Christ returns, right? Um, and I, I was thinking about this last night because I was watching. Maybe I shouldn't do this, but. Um, no, I, I was watching a little bit of news last night. Yeah. Uh, another riot, another you know, curfew. I, I'm, I'm getting tired of this. Um, but I, I, I almost sense that, that any time there's you know an accidental shooting or intentional, that this is going to continue and it's going to escalate. I mean, I, I, I mean, no end in sight. Uh, that's just my cynicism, but. Um, Lord have mercy. Amen. You know, and because uh, it, it seems like every week there's something new. I mean, it's not new, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, like another this, another that. New school shooting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is, uh, you know, an expression of that enmity, that opposition that continues today. Um, you know, to reason, uh, to truth, uh, to God. And, and you know the, the, the once you depart from, from the Lord and His Word, where do you end up? And you, you continue to go further and further and further away. And that's um, it's it's uh, it's striking to me that that some of those who are more uh, most can I say most staunchest um, against Christianity are those who at one time believed. Did you have a well, I was just going to say that last time I saw this little child right. in the midst of all this confusion and this, this rocket. I thought, he's just a little child. What's he going to grow up thinking, you know, 
I didn't. I never saw anything like that when I was a child. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, it, you know, it, the the foundation, if if we want to call it that, the foundation being laid for for our younger people, you know, and 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 for the younger generations, you know, I I'm really concerned about what it's going to look like 20 or 30 years down the road, you know, with all this that's going on now, you know, but but also, um, you know, you who are in education or have been in education, you know where this can go, you know where this leads. When, when, you, when you teach, basically truth is what you make of it. Truth is determined by you or, or your, own, uh, your own identity uh, as, as a human being. Uh, okay, it's not what is given you, but what you determine it to be in the sense of like gender, you know, and, and sexuality, um, individualism, whatever. Uh, you know, and, and this of course is, is not uh, what, what uh, God himself reveals, uh, you know, in the sense that we are, we are not the, the masters of our own destiny but this is actually the, the struggle, the opposition that we see today. You know, everything against truth, everything against ultimately God. So even, even speaking um, rationally, how is that taken today in the media or in, you know, among other people? Here? You know, that there's, you know, okay, you, you have your position, okay, keep that to yourself kind of thing. Um, but Again, it's kind of puts it into focus for me that, you know, we hear this this blessing of Simeon at the end of our liturgy. And it's kind of like, you know, a departure kind of statement. We're about to hear the benediction and leave. But to kind of keep this in mind that the sign has been set for opposition. And if the sign of Christ, his cross, his resurrection, was opposed then, we who bear his Christian, we should not be surprised that if we take a stand for the faith, that we're going to run into opposition as well. So as we leave the church for the next six days, it's 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 a it's a fallen world out there, and Christians are not always going to be welcomed. Right. We may have to face opposition, right. bearing the very blessing of Simeon right. as we leave the service. Yeah, and and. You know, it, it's uh, as, as difficult it is, as it is, I, I think uh, it might be, uh, oh, I, I don't want to say easier, but at least more understandable if it's those outside the church, um, those outside of one's family. But, but Satan also works this way too, of course, inside the church, inside the family. You know, and, and that's again where where much of the struggle uh, ensues. But uh, you know the, the the words of Anna um, are are very comforting, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Where is this? And and that sign, by the way, that is opposed. Uh, if you're reading from the ESV, it says uh, the sign that is opposed uh, is actually the sign of our redemption too. And, and that's the offense of the cross because the, the, the gospel actually says there's nothing you do for your salvation. And that's good news, but to one who wants to save himself or herself, it's the worst kind of news that you can get. But it's the best news that they can get because it's true. You don't save yourself and there's nothing within you. And and really, that's a, that, that's a, you know, strong, you know, a, a strong... Um, Argument against the Christian faith, and I, I you know, I, I, we, we have, we have opportunity to clarify and clarify and continue to clarify. Um, I expressed this uh, just recently again uh, to a student, but there's uh, only two religions. You know that, right? There's only two religions. One is the Christian, and one is the non-Christian. The religion of grace, the religion of law. And and what is what is very disconcerting is is the fact that those who claim to be Christian are not always consistent with their teaching of Christianity. 
uh, their, their teaching about salvation. Um, is it at all, if it's, at, you know, this is a heads up here. If, if, if any of your salvation dependent, is dependent on you, that's not, if, if the teaching is that uh, your salvation is somehow, even if it's just a little bit dependent on you, that's not Christian teaching. Christian teaching says God's done it all in Christ. Um, so, so when we talk about you know Pentecostals, well, you have to have the Spirit. You have to speak in tongues in order to know that you have the Spirit, in order that you know that you're saved. That's an addition that God Himself does not give. Or if someone says, well, okay, God saves you by His grace in order that you can do good. Kind of infuse grace. Uh, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, Margaret, but you know, Catholicism. Yeah. Oh, we've had those conversations. Uh, That's not a Christian teaching. <laughs> That's okay. She's comfortable with it by now. Because it's true. Yeah. I mean, Christianity is mixed in there, but then they go and yeah. mess it all up. Yeah. You know, with all this, these other requirements. And, you know, we had a, a, a lady at Scott's Fieldwork Church many years ago who had grown up in the Pentecostal community, and her family was all Pentecostal. But she never received the gift of speaking in tongues, and she felt like she was not saved. She wasn't going to go to heaven. She felt so much lesser. And then a Lutheran talked to her. And she said, oh, I don't have to speak in tongues. And so they, her, she and her husband and the children were all Lutherans because of that. And she said, you know, they made me feel almost like, you know, I was, um, you know, something so wrong with me and that I couldn't be saved because I, I didn't speak in tongues. That wasn't a gift God gave me. Now, what a way to make a person feel, you know? Like, if you don't do it just this way. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why, you know, when, when there's, ever, you know, and maybe another way of saying that, is if, if there's ever, you know, a teaching that you hear out and about that, that puts a condition on salvation. Yeah. yeah. That's not of the gospel. Yeah. It's a different gospel. Um, and I, I, I think, I mean, mm -hmm. what, what makes this so challenging, though, for, for us is we hear that in various places. You know, and it might not be so overt. You know, but but uh, you know, I, I don't want to step on any toes here. I won't mention names, um, but many of the popular preachers on TV or on the radio, um, you know, might insert something here and there that might seem innocent enough, um, but but really can cast doubt on one's salvation, which is on Christ alone. Well, you know good and well those Pentecostal people. If you'd have told them they weren't practicing Christianity, would have been incensed. Yeah. But that's a good word. Yeah, but I mean, they, that's not Christian to be judging people in that way. I, I just. I don't know what's yeah. Yeah. And, and and so you know, it's not so much about I, I, at least the way I look at it, it's not so much about judging people, um, but judging the the confession. You know, we, we do make that distinction. So, um, and we talked about this a little bit on Saturday. We'll close, um, or we'll we'll, uh, we'll have a break in just a moment. But it, it, it dawned on me. We were, we were talking about love, and uh, there was there was reference. Uh, of course, uh, Pastor Blazik had a, a, a wonderful study on uh, Luther and the Diet of Worms, and kind of how it's relevant to today. And it dawned on me. Uh, that when we speak about love, it's not conditionalized. Um, so, so I can, you know, we, we've heard the phrase, and, and, and very likely it's been used in various ways, but love the sin or hate the sin, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, because, because the sinner um, and the sin are so intertwined, it's not always easy to talk about the one without talking about the other, right? Because when we speak of the sinner, myself as a sinner, you as a sinner, we're talking about the whole person, not just what they do, not just what they say or don't say, don't do kind of thing, but we're talking about the entire person. 
Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, with reference to the, the unconditional love that God has for us, this is the kind of unconditional love that we are to have to others. So, you know, regardless if they are still in their sin, they continue to sin, we are still to love them. Um, and the like, and as God continues to love us, even with our all our foibles and failures, um, He continues to call us to repentance uh, because He loves us. And so, you know, we do the same for others. All right, please, uh, should I have a hymnal? Um, please open to page 182 in Lutheran service book. We'll continue the discussion on the Nunc Dimittis using the the rendition from uh, page 182. Setting 1 and setting 2, I I think, are are fairly identical uh, with reference to uh, the Song of Simeon. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations and glory of your people Israel. These words, of course, are very similar to uh, to Simeon's words in from from Luke's gospel. And what, what's intriguing is that here, like uh, you know, as expressed earlier and as, as read. Simeon was saying these words because the Lord had revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Then he saw the Lord's Christ as he was in the Spirit on on the Lord's Day. And then he says these things, Now, Lord, let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. That word fulfilled meaning that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And now he was able to die actually in peace. Right, the Lord's word having been fulfilled, and why why this is uh, you know uh, you know food for thought, uh, and 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 of course worthy of our attention uh, in the divine service is that we sing these words immediately after the reception of the Lord's supper, mm-hmm. which means of course that we have life and salvation because Christ we just. We have fed on the body and blood of Christ. Really and truly, sacramentally. Um, so, following this, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. I know we don't often think this way, um, but going in peace, um, does that exclude the possibility of death? Say that again, please. Does that does going in peace exclude the possibility of death? No, It means we're prepared for it in what God Himself does, what Christ Himself gives. Your word has been fulfilled. Um, what word is that? Might we say? You have to look it up to know. Well, my the the way I always understood it in singing this was that um, the fulfillment was that the Messiah has come and in our time now he died and rose again our reconciliation with God is now complete now how is all this tied to the Lord's Supper everything you just said is you know Right. Yeah, so God forgives sins and, you know, can we say, okay, God has forgiven us in the absolution. He's forgiven us in the Lord's Supper. His word is fulfilled. We have that forgiveness whether we feel it or not. It is ours because Christ gives it. Amen. I was going to say, you know, um, I think when we took English Lit, yeah. you know, they tell us about foreshadowing. Is that the term? And how, you know, they'll drop little hints at the beginning yeah. of the story right. yeah. that are later, you know, come to full fruition mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And in a sense, maybe that's what's happening here too, is the structure of the Gospel of Luke. Simeon is saying, you know, your word has been fulfilled. And what we have in Luke 24, not once, but twice, where Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures, whether it's the two people on the road to Emmaus, or the, the disciples in the upper room. And then he 
clearly says, so that Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets had to be fulfilled. So Simeon's kind of given us a foreshadowing of Luke 24. Yeah, it, they're, they're all related. You know, and, and we have that fulfillment, you know, of, of course, from the, you know, what does the Old Testament speak of? Allude to, foreshadow. You know, what is it a, a type of? Right? We're not, yeah. Well, the, Jesus the himself in John 5 says, you think you have salvation in the scriptures, but it is of me right. of which they testify. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, so it, it, it all points to him. And, and what does, uh, you know, what does going in peace, how is that done? Right? Not according to what we think or de what we determine peace to be. Right? I mean, so we would look, you know, we kind of alluded to this, but with, with all the unrest that is going on in the world today, uh, and, and especially in America as we see it, and, and we're, uh, how, how should we say, we're, you know, kind of overwhelmed by it um, on a daily basis. And then we hear, of, like I, I heard this morning about, you know, is it P1? You heard of the P1 strain in Brazil? You know, and one of the doctors had said, you know, that this is that this is a great concern. If if, if I was thinking, talking with someone from Oklahoma, I'd say this is a concern for you. And it's like, okay, so what does this all mean? But one other note is that, you know, on a pragmatic level, as a pastor, you look out at your congregation and you, the parishioners can look at each other and with the same thought. We had the privilege of gathering together on the Lord's Day today. Six days from now, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. We saw that last year. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, you think just in our Missouri Synod, we got 6,000 congregations thereabout. And it's kind of comforting to give this blessing, to say this blessing together. We are ready, come what may this week. I mean, you don't want to get morbid, but you could get killed in a car accident. You could have a heart attack. You could, anything can happen that might take you out of this veil of tears. So, but we're saying that I'm ready, Lord. If, if my final day comes in the next six days, I've encountered the living Jesus, both in his word and his sacrament. I've, I've had the same experience that Simeon had. And I'm ready to go. If anything happens to me tomorrow or Wednesday or Saturday, this is no guarantee you're going to be able to be back in church the next Sunday. I think this is kind of like when the woman reached out and touched his robe and she was healed. And, uh, you know, God forgiven us our sins right here. You know, mm -hmm. Every Sunday we yeah. get it. Yeah, I mean, what what does it mean to have peace? Not only one day a week, but throughout the week, right? I mean, you know, go in peace, you know, and, and we get that also. Uh, this is kind of a prelude to to next week, but with a benediction, you know, as well. I mean, it's all couched in what God Himself is giving, um, and and what what that means for us who who live in a sinful world. You know, Jesus Christ, and this reminds me that, you know, Jesus Christ said to his disciples, you know, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And he speaks about peace, which the world cannot give, but peace that he gives. And, and Paul speaks of that in, in Romans 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And having peace with him, then therefore we also have peace with one another as well, even in the midst of tribulations even in the midst of uh, turbulent times forgiven and forgiving mm -hmm. yeah so we, we have the the peace uh, his word is fulfilled notice also and, and this kind of kind of uh, draws attention to what was spoken before my own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people uh, this, uh, this this is a um, of course a paraphrase we might say or an illusion um, a reference to what Simeon himself said, but it's also a confession of faith too. You know, which we find we talked about this a little bit with the uh, the uh, uh, Agnes Dei, the Agnes Dei meaning Lamb of God. You know, we sing that, and you know, some might might figure, okay, this is just a filler between the time when pastor generally communes and you know then the congregation. 
but it's, it's significantly more and greater than that. Because Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Um, you know, in the context, when do we? When is that sung? Just before receiving the body and blood of Christ. What is one confessing by singing that? Whether they know it or not, they are confessing that Jesus Christ is here. That the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is among us, giving His own body and blood. To take away our sins. Yeah, exactly. You know, so so also uh, with, with reference to the, 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 the preface or the, the, the sanctus, right? The holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. You know, singing the song that... Uh, that Isaiah did, or hearing the song that Isaiah did, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Um, you know, we're singing that too because God is present. You know, that's another hymn uh, that, that is sometimes sung, right? At the beginning of service primarily, but perhaps at other places too. God himself is present. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's really quite significant that we sing the hymns that we do. You know, and, and they are reasoned to pause. I think, you know, just, just reading the title and singing the hymns, um, even, even, might I say also, even those hymns that are more challenging to sing, pay attention to the words at least. You know, if you can't sing them, read along with them. And I was kind of reflecting on this. What else is song except putting to melody what is spoken? Oh, but it's stronger than just that. Yeah. Because when you put something to music, it sticks to you. It goes in your, your your very soul, your heart. And speaking, you won't remember what I said, what I'm saying right now. You probably won't remember it tomorrow or the next day. We don't know that. You don't know that. But most likely you won't remember it. But if I was to sing it, you would remember every word every every inflection everything about it you would remember and that's why music is such a big business it's why the greeks called music the beloved of the arts mm -hmm. we used to use a lot of little songs teaching in my special mm -hmm. ed classroom and those kids would remember it that's and how i know the alphabet them using those skills you were trying sure. to teach you know because the music mm -hmm. makes a strong it, it does. impression. It's like, it's like an aroma. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it, uh, it includes more than one sense. Mm -hmm. That's how they therapists have me teach kids. Yeah. yeah. She still sings the same song, brush, 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 I don't know if it'll be the right key, but I can. Please turn to uh, page 937 or hymn number 937 in the Lutheran Service Book. So 937 and 938 also are renditions of the Noctimidus, uh, the Song of Simeon. Uh, they have their uh, their place there. A little different wording and different melody. Uh, but but the point is still there. So 937, Lord, bid your servant go in peace. Um, now, what, what's intriguing about this is that this is not only a confession, it's a prayer. right? At least the, the initial words, Lord, bid your servant go in peace. Your word is now fulfilled. Mm -hmm. With reference to the Lord's Supper, right? His word that he had spoken, take eat, take drink, this is my body, this is my blood, for the forgiveness of sins. These eyes have seen salvation's dawn. The child so long foretold, or this child so long foretold. This is the Savior of the world. This is a confession. This is the Savior of the world, the Gentiles' promised life. God's glory dwelling in our midst, the joy of Israel. And who is Israel, by the way? Is it a country? Is it a land only? God's no. people. God's people. Yeah. Paul speaks of this in, is it Romans 9 or Romans 11? One of those places. I think it's Romans 9 where he says, not all Israel are Israel. Um, rather, those who are, and, and Paul speaks this way in another in other places, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Yeah. So Israel includes us, the New Testament Israel. Uh, the Gentiles promise, that this is the Savior of the world, the Gentiles promise light, God's glory dwelling in our midst, the joy of Israel. Okay. 
he said that. With saints of old, with saints to come. And, and Jesus does speak this way, like in John 10, for example. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on Monday uh, in, in the text, where Jesus speaks of those who are not yet of this fold, but will be. And he also prays for them in John 17. You know, that those who will believe on account of the word of the apostles. Uh, which, by the way, has to do with the writings as well and the Spirit working through them. God's glory dwelling in our midst. Okay, I read that. Uh, to you lift, we lift our voice to Father, Son, and Spirit. Blessed be honor, love, and praise. Now, uh, this is, uh, uh, you'll, you'll notice that the text is from James Quinn. Uh, you'll notice in, in, uh, in, in hymn 938, the text was written primarily by Martin Luther. Um uh, and, and others, but but very similar. Uh, you got four verses there. In peace and joy, I now depart, since God so wills it. Uh, th this strikes me as, as quite confident, not at all uncertain or doubtful. In peace and joy, I now depart, since God so wills it. Serene and confident, my heart stillness fills it, for the Lord has promised me that death is but a slumber. Christ Jesus brought this gift to me, my faithful Savior, whom you have made uh, my eyes to see by your favor. That's the work of the Spirit. Now I know he is my life, my friend, when I am dying. You sent the people of the earth their great salvation. Your invitation summons forth every nation by your holy, precious word in every place resounding. Christ is the hope and saving light of those in blindness. He guides and comforts those in night. By his kindness for your people Israel, in him find joy and glory. Um, these, uh, these hymns, of course, are quite contemporary. Um, and by the way, they are also praises, too. You know, um, and, and praise and thanksgiving. You know, I'm, I'm reflecting on, uh, is it the meaning to the... Uh, the second commandment is, remember, we should fear and love God, that we may not curse, swear, curse, swear, use satanic, satanic arts, lie, or deceive by his name, but using the word of the psalmist, call upon him in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. I mean, that's, that's what these hymns, too, in particular, are about, giving thanks and praise to God for all that he is doing all he has done just a few moments ago in the service and what he continues to do with his word and blessing. Good stuff. Alright. It would be interesting to know at what time of his life Martin Luther wrote this. That doesn't say I'll write Luther. No, it doesn't. Um, Although the tune is from 1524, but yeah, that doesn't necessarily indicate right. much, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I guess it's something to, to look up. Luther was 46 <coughs> when he wrote uh, A Mighty Fortress. It's the only one I know. So I don't know if that was his hymn writing era, but he was 46 when he wrote A Mighty Fortress. Did he? Wait. Okay, so he, he died in he died in 46. He died in 46. But, but he was born 1483? Right. Yeah. Okay. So do the math. I'm not good at that. <laughs> it's just a coincidence that he wrote Mighty Fortress when he was 46. And then in 1546, he passed away at the age of 62. Okay. Yeah. So he was probably, yeah. He's probably in his 40-ish, 40s, 50s, somewhere 